0: Well, good morning. good morning. Merry Christmas. We're glad you're here. And again, we want to invite you back for Christmas Eve, Tuesday, 11 a.m., 1, 3, 5 p.m. We also want to thank all of you who have given throughout the year, and we just pray uh, that we finish strong, be praying for that, and be participating in that as we finish strong this year. So uh, this, uh, last, this semester, this fall semester, I uh, was involved uh, with the men's locker room, and Tunch and I taught a class we we focused on uh, Hebrews chapter 11, and we looked at the men of faith in Hebrews 11, and we talked about fresh faith, what that looks like. And before, before we, the lessons uh, every week, uh, we had a quiz. We did uh, a quiz for the men, and there were some table competition and different things. And, and uh, the, the questions you were a Bible question and, uh, and um, usually a sports question. And there were two questions each of us asked, and then each of us got judged on who asked the best questions week after week after week? And I just want to say I won hands down. <laughs> hands down. And thank you. And um, <clears throat> my prize, my prize for winning was this priceless mug, right? <laughs> oh, yes, yeah, so Oklahoma, Sooners. in case you can't see that. And then this book... Um, Recapture all the thrills of Oklahoma Sooners football. Newly updated. I expected to be a little thicker uh, than this, uh, actually. So I thought, just maybe, since we brought up the topic, uh, I don't know if I'll get to talk. I didn't want to bring this up Christmas Eve because not everyone knows the Oklahoma connection, and you know I got to explain all that. I may bring it up anyway, but but it's harder, and um, and uh, I may not have a chance to talk about it again, right, because of the games going on, so I, I just, I thought about, we talk about this a little bit, some, some facts that you may not know about some other teams playing in the, uh, uh, in the uh, NCAA football playoff, right? Some things you may not know. First one, I don't know if you knew this, but they quit serving ice at the Clemson football games this past year. Did you know that? They quit serving ice. Do you know why they, they did that? The the person who had the recipe graduated. Okay. Lori told me these were no good. All right. Here's another one. How do you keep an LSU football player busy? You write, please turn over on both sides of a piece of paper. Turn over, turn over. If i got to explain it, (laughs) I don't know if you've noticed this, but Ohio State, any uh, any Buckeye fans here? One in every crowd. Um, (laughs) Ohio State, uh, on their shoes, they they have written TGIF, all the players, TGIF, on all of their shoes. Anyone know why? Just to remind them that toes go in first. (laughs) <laughs> That's actually the best. That's the best one. <laughs> All right. Last one. Aren't you glad it's the last one because I am? Yes. Yes. <laughs> LSU. LSU just defeated Oklahoma in the first round of the NCAA playoffs. LSU just defeated Oklahoma in the first round of the NCAA playoffs. What do you do next? You turn off the PlayStation because it ain't happening in real life. Okay, I'm glad that's over. Actually, uh, I heard those first from a guy named uh, uh, um, Roy D'Alessandro who uh, was in the men's group, and uh, Oklahoma was the punchline uh, of all those when I first heard them. (laughs) But I told Roy I was going to share them, and he said, well, I'll be watching online uh, because his wife's going through uh, a battle with cancer, and so they've been uh, online uh, for a while. And I I just thought about that uh, as Roy's watching a lot of other people, right? As we're here, but a lot of other people are are going through challenges and watching online because they can't get out, and uh, we want to pray for them. Uh, During this Christmas, we also have this thing called Blue Christmas that our worship team put together. Excellent, uh, kind of a virtual concert. And uh, if you know of anyone going through hard times uh, during the holiday seasons, during the Christmas season New Year's, uh, let them know about this. You can get it online, uh, and it's called Blue Christmas. And it's just the ministers to people really going through uh, challenges. So let's pray uh, for our time in God's Word, and we'll pray for those going through uh, difficult times at Christmas. Many are, I know. Father, you know the hearts of every person here today going through uh, some tough times. Christmas is such a joyful time, and, and uh, for many who uh, have lost a loved one this year, uh, this is um, difficult, and it's painful. And so, Father, we pray that you would be with them. We pray that you would um, minister to them as only you can do. We pray, Father, that you would, uh, that you would comfort them uh, and just remind them that you never leave them and you never forsake them. Uh, I pray, Father, for others going through some, um, some battles with illness, and I pray, Lord, that you would encourage their hearts today. Many watching online who uh, would be here if they could, I pray, Father, that you would encourage them, heal their bodies, Uh, Give them strength, Uh, remind them, and and, and let them just feel and experience your presence with them. Lord, as we open your word, we pray that you would instruct us today, nothing to say unless you speak through us. We can't hear unless you open our ears, Uh, we can't absorb unless you open our hearts, and so Lord, as every day of our life, we're totally dependent on you right now uh, to do your work. So speak to us. And uh, give us that one thing that we need to change and, and, and do to, uh, to make certain that we are walking close to you and growing in you. So be with us, Lord. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. This Christmas season, we've been talking about what a real Christmas looks like. And we have considered the topics of real hope, real joy, real peace And today we want to talk about real love. This topic of real love is seen so vividly in the life of a woman named Anna, who is a significant part of the Christmas story. If you take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 2, we're going to consider Anna today in verses 36 through 38. Let me set the context. We know that when we open Luke chapter 2, Jesus is 40 days old. Old Mary and Joseph have gone to the temple when a woman had a baby, 40 day, a boy, a son, 40 days later, she would go to the temple and she would go through the rites of purification. If you had a daughter, 80 days, the rites of purification. Also, every firstborn son was to be consecrated or dedicated to the Lord. And so Mary and Joseph took Jesus. And they dedicated him to the Lord there on that 40th day of his life. The lamb was to be a sacrifice for that time. But if you were poor, God said you could use uh, two turtle doves or or two pigeons. And so we see that's the offering that Mary and Joseph brought because they were a very poor couple. Just think of it. When God sent his son to the world, when God came into the world, he picked a, a, a poor peasant couple to raise uh, his son. That day when Mary and Joseph went into the, the temple, they were met by a guy, we talked about him last time, named Simeon. And Simeon, we're told by Luke, had four characteristics. One, he was righteous. That means that he lived a life of obedience and rightness before God. And we said that there are four things that really describe a life of righteousness, uh, righteousness. One is trust. You're trusting in Christ alone as the only way to have a relationship with the living God. So there is trust. There is obedience. You're doing the right things. You're doing what God calls you to do. But Because we're sinners, we're not always going to do that. So there is repentance and when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then there's perseverance. So you keep on going on. You keep on moving toward the mark that God has called you. When you see a person who's righteous, those, those things are, are, are cycling in their lives, right? Trust and obedience and, and, uh, and repentance and, and perseverance. We also see that he's devout. And when we read the word devout, that means he is all in. He's holding nothing back. We see that he is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Uh, we see that he uh, was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That word means comfort. He was waiting uh, for, for, what to have, for, uh, for the consolation of Israel that Isaiah prophesied 700 years earlier. Israel was in poverty. They were in political unrest. They were under oppression, and they were waiting for a Messiah to come. And that day, 40 days old, Jesus came into the temple, carried by his mother Mary and his earthly father Joseph. And Simeon, led by the Holy Spirit, went over to meet them, and he took Jesus in his arms. And in chapter 2, verse 29, he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant die in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of. Of all people, Jesus is not going to come and be a a political conqueror. He is going to come and be a savior of all people. We've seen your salvation not just for the Jews, but for all people. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. And again, we saw last time that after Simeon praised this prayer to God, he looks Mary and Joseph in the eyes and he said, Jesus. Is going to be one who reveals the heart of every person. He's going to be the dividing line, the rise and fall of many. Depending on, for history, depending on your response to Jesus, think about that. Depending on your response to Jesus, you're going to spend eternity with God forever or eternity separated from God forever. There's no other way, there's no other person. Jesus is a hinge of salvation. As um, Simeon was speaking, an older woman came up and joined them. We can only assume she came up as Simeon was praying this prayer. Now, if you were 50 years old in that day, you were old. But we're going to see this woman named Anna much older than that. Look at verse uh, 36. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phaniel, the tribe of Asher. We know, first off, that Anna was a prophetess. Now, that's not unique for a woman to be a prophet. In the Old Testament, uh, Miriam was a prophet in Exodus. In Judges, Deborah uh, was a prophet. In 2 Kings, there's a lady named Huldah. Uh, It was a prophet. Um, We see that uh, a lady named Noadiah was a prophet. uh, Isaiah's wife uh, was was a prophetess. And in the New Testament, in Acts 27, there were four daughters of the evangelist Philip, who was a prophetess. In the Old Testament, the last prophet was a guy named who? Malachi, right? And then after Malachi wrote his prophecy... What happened? Nothing. For 400 years there was silence. No prophet wrote. God didn't speak through a prophet for 400 years. So when we come to the New Testament, a prophet or a prophetess is not so much one, is not one who who gives new revelation, but who takes the word of God that's already written and they teach it. They know it, and they teach it. So here we see Anna, who is a prophetess. We know this about her. She not only has a title, but she uses her gift. She knows God's Word, and she teaches God's Word. She is well advanced in years. Look at the next part of verse 36. She was well advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years, from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84 years old. Now, in Greek, there are a couple ways you can go with that. It could be that she was a widow for 84 years. If that's the case, as some commentators believe, let's just say she was married at that day, uh, women in that day. It's kind of crazy for us to think about. But in that day, you got married when you were 14 or 15. So she was a widow... Uh, she was married. She was married for seven years, so now she's 21. She's a widow for 84, so she could be well over 100 years old. We just don't know. We just know that she was an older woman. And we see that her life was tough. Being a widow in that day was difficult, regardless of how long she was a widow. Just think about Anna's life. I mean, there was a day when she was young, like some of you here, and you're waiting for your wedding, and, and she anticipated that, and she planned for it, and she got her wedding clothes, and she put them on, and she was married to that man she'd been waiting for, that man she loved. And then seven short years later, he died. And that day, she put on her mourning clothes, and she buried her husband, and she buried... Or dreams as well. Being a widow is never easy. Some of you know that. Some of you are going through that pain. Widow, widower. But in that day, being a widow was downright dangerous. Widows were neglected and they were exploited. In fact, in 1 Timothy, Paul lays out specific instructions for the church. You've got to take care of widows, he, he writes. James says, if you're truly a believer. You take care of widows and orphans. What's James saying? There's, there's a compassion that goes with the life of the believer that you take care of the most vulnerable. So I know this is a cool time of year because a lot of college students are back, and it's fun to catch up with you guys and hear how your experience is going in college. And we've been talking a lot about, um, you know, how do we, how do we, how uh, do we, how do we relate to, how do, how do we, how do we, uh, respond to your generation, Generation Z, a lot of different uh, things going on uh, in your generation. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. But, but uh, we've, been, we've been talking about how we as a church, never changing the message, can make sure we don't lose your generation. And so we're doing that. But it's also interesting in Scripture, isn't it? That when God wants us to see a person who really walks with Him, What's he show us? An older saint. Someone who has had the heartache. Someone who's had the disappointment. Someone who's had the despair. Someone who's lost loved ones. Someone who's gone through a lot of pain and still walked with God. R.C. Sproul uh, writing, uh, says this. He says, you know, he he says, I love it to see when young people are on fire for Christ. I mean, that is so cool. But then he says this. What really speaks to me is the old saint, the one who has kept the faith, who has fought the good fight of the faith, who has endured for decade after decade. It's no wonder to me that when the Bible calls us to postures of respect for people, that those who are singled out for honor include. Older people who have been faithful, those people who have maintained devotion to God over a long period of time, those are the people who deserve our utmost respect and how easy it is for us to treat the elderly with contempt as though their testimony, their track record, were insignificant. Well, Anna's track record was not insignificant. Now just think about it. The most practical thing for her emotions, for her Relationship, so she wouldn't be lonely for economic reasons the most practical thing would have been for her to remarry but Anna says this I'm going to find my fulfillment I'm going to find my satisfaction I'm going to find my value I'm going to find my treasure in God alone Look at verse 37. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and with fasting and prayer night and day. She did not depart from the temple. That could have been, since because of her title, she had a chamber in the temple area. Or it may just be Luke saying, you know, he's using a, a figure of speech, whenever you go to the temple, Anna's there. And you see her worshiping. And you see her praying and you see her fasting day and night, all the time. Anna found her satisfaction in God alone. And that day, when Jesus was 40 days old, she heard Simeon praying and she walked over. And when she heard Simeon's prayer, here is the Savior. Here's the one who's going to bring salvation. Here's the light of the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. Look at verse 38. Coming at that very hour, coming up on them, she began to give thanks to God. She broke out herself in a prayer of thanksgiving. And then notice what she did. She began to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She couldn't help but tell people. About who? Jesus. Let's think about Anna's life. And what I'd like to do is to make three observations and ask three questions. Three observations, three questions, all right? Here's the first one Anna knew and taught God's word. Do you? Anna knew and taught God's word. Question is, do you? We live in a day when truth is up for grabs. The widespread worldviews are naturalism. There's no God. It's just a closed universal system. Secularism, just go and grab for all the gusto you can get. Make the most out of your life right now. It's only for the here and now. Postmodernism, it's relative. We decide what the rules are. We decide what truth is. No one else needs to do that for us. Right and wrong is relative. Or moral therapeutic deism, which says this, God just wants me to be happy. Whatever makes me happy, that's what God wants. That's the world we live in. We live today in a world where truth is up for grabs. Do you agree with that? Back in March, a British researcher named Maya Forsteter worked for a British think tank called the Center for Global Development, and she lost her job. She was fired because she said this, people cannot change their biological sex. That's all she said. People can't change their biological sex. She was fired. This past Thursday, a London judge upheld her dismissal, saying that her views on sex and gender were, quote, absolutist, and quote, uh, uh, incompatible with human dignity and fundamental rights of others. All that saying that, biologically speaking, there is such a thing as a male and female. That story would have gone unnoticed, except that Maya had a friend named J.K. Rowling. You ever heard of her? Harry Potter. And so, she put out this tweet, J.K. Rowling wrote, dress however you want, call yourself whatever you like. Sleep with any consenting adult who will have you. Live your best life in peace and security. But force women out of jobs for stating that sex is real? And she was, uh, she was blasted by many on the, the uh, social media platforms. Now, Rawlings has never been mistaken for a conservative but she created a firestorm among her liberal friends, and they labeled her as a TERF. Anyone know what a TERF is? T-E-R-F. I didn't until this week. TERF stands for Trans-Exclusive Radical Feminist. She's vilified by social media. Now, I share that only, only for this reason. Those of us who claim to be Christians... Those of us who say this, this book right here is true, right? We better get our act together. If we're going to claim it's true, we better know what it says. Because if we live in a world where the basic, the real sexual parts of a man and a woman are not enough to say that a person is biologically DNA, male or female. If we live in that world where that's relative, then every truth is up for grabs. And believers, we got to figure out how to respond. And we will shake our heads and we will cluck our tongues at a story like that and we will not be reading God's Word. And that's wrong. And there were no amens to that. Well, there was one. My point is this. We've got to be in God's word on a daily basis. We've got to know the truth in order to teach the truth. So parents, that's the the world your kids are growing up in. Our kids are growing up in, grandparents. Are we going to know God's word so that we can teach them what truth really is? We're going to show, we'll talk about it in a little bit, we've got to show it. But are we going to teach God's word so that we can teach them what truth really is? Our challenge for the Bible Chapel in 2020 is to read the Bible through together. We're going to start in Genesis. We're going to end in Revelation. We are going to send you, if you want to join this, we will send you every day the passage of Scripture to read. If you don't get to read that whole passage, there will be a passage that will at least summarize a part of it with a little devotion. At least do that. Whatever level you're on, crank it up to another level. We're going to have opportunity for you to give comments back and forth so we can do this together. But, guys, we've got to read God's Word together. There is no other thing we can do. As parents, we like to give our kids a book on apologetics and stick it in their stocking, right? But if we're going to teach them the truth, we've got to know it, live it, and teach it. You cannot impart what you do not possess. You can't give away what you don't have. So we have to be those who teach, who know, and teach God's Word. If you say, you know what, I don't even know how to read the Bible. Well, read it with us. But also, we have other things. Living grounded, we have ways to, to nail down the basics of the Christian faith. If you've not done that, do that in 2020. Nail down the basics of the Christian faith. In your program, with your sermon notes, there's the email to, to, uh, to, to send uh, your request to. I want to nail it down. I want to know what I believe because it's too important not to be able to pass that on to my kids. Number two, Anna Anna worshipped. Do you? I think a lot of people think that worship is simply coming to church on a Saturday night or a Sunday and singing some songs. We really worshipped today. That's not what worship is. Worship is a constant response to God's grace in my life. Worship begins in our heart way before it comes out of our lips. To the religious people in Jesus' day, uh, he said this, People honor me with their lips. They sing the songs. They raise their hands. But their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. You know what Jesus is saying? If you don't have a heart of worship, the songs you sing is zero worship. Worship. It's vain worship. It doesn't count. And so a heart of worship always begins, worship always begins in our heart. Do we love God more than anything else in our life? Do we treasure Him more than anything else? Do we value Him more than any other relationship? More than our children? More than our job? More than all the stuff in our life, what do you wake up thinking about, your stuff or your relationship with God? What do you value most? starts in our heart. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says this, I appeal to you, brothers, sisters, that's generic, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What's, what is, what's Paul saying there? He's saying when it comes to worship, God wants all of you. Present your bodies, present yourself, present your heart, present things inside and outside, present it all to God. He wants all of you. And when it starts in our heart, then it matters what comes out of our lips. And when it starts in our hearts, it's going to be demonstrated in our life. The second part of worship is Begins in our hearts, shows up in our hands, right? Through Him, Hebrews says, through Him then let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. So that's worship. Fruit of our lips, worship, that acknowledge His name. And then in that same two verses, the writer says, don't neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices doing good and sharing, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Sacrifices with our hands, sacrifice of praise with our heart. Starts in our heart, shows up in our hands. Now, that may be as uh, seemingly small as a phone call or an email to someone who's going through a difficult time. Do you know of someone going through a difficult time? Part of worship is just saying, thinking about you, praying for you, what can I do for you? Listen uh, listen to Tim's story.
1: Hello, my name is Tim Peckno, and here is my story of real love. This past summer in July, I had pretty extensive shoulder surgery. Um, I was a, I thought I had myself prepared for it, I really knew that the pain was coming. I knew that the sleepless nights were coming, but you really can't prepare yourself for it. Uh, I was turning into a person that I'm not real proud of at home. I was very short with my wife, and it was just a very difficult situation. Even though I knew in advance it was going to be like that, and I tried my best to avoid it, but um, I was going through my emails one day, And I saw something from the Bible Chapel, and it was addressed from Karen Rine, who I've never met before, and I'm reading the email, and she just stated that, Tim, we understand you went through a pretty tough surgery. We want you to know that we're here for you, and that we love you, and we could offer you different things. We could prepare meals for you if your wife needs a break. We can... um, text you we can call you we can visit you Uh, but what really struck me was when she told me that if it's okay with you we could give your name to a few of the groups at the bible chapel and we could have them pray for you and that broke me down i uh, i'm thinking who am i that there's going to be hundreds of people that are going to pray for me and i was i just felt overwhelmed emotionally and unbelievably blessed to be part of a family like this the next thing you know, I'm getting phone calls from Tunch Yilkin. Tunch is praying for me over the phone. He told me he went through the same surgery and we're comparing notes with that. Um, an old friend, Jamie Eisner, called me and he said, Tim, I understand you went through surgery. Let's go out to lunch tomorrow. Can we do that? And I'm going, oh, Jamie, this is just so wonderful. I was just able to see these people again and not just live at home in, in this crazy recliner that I sleep in, and then I get up and I watch TV, and, and then I go back to sleep, in, and, and I'm starting to feel like I was getting my life back. What I went through with shoulder surgery, it, it's nothing compared to what a lot of people go through. It brought me even closer to God. Instead of working 16-hour days every day, I had a little more time where Michelle and I could read together, pray together more than we typically would, or watch the devotions together. Um, now, I knew that I was going to be okay at the end. And, and you think about the others that go through a whole lot worse. And I could understand how they could, their faith can be tested. And I, I would hope that those people have an open heart. And if it's missed somehow, that they'd even contact the care team, let them know what they're going through. Because the care team doesn't have access to everybody. They don't know. I would hope that you would, contact the care team and let them pour their love and support out to them.
0: Pretty cool story, huh? So three things regarding worship. It starts in our heart. It sets apart God in our heart as uh, as our deepest desire. And then it shows up in our, in our life. How we serve other people. So I want to uh, I want to invite you if you're here and you come I love you being here. I want to invite you 2020 to serve. Find a place to serve. Again it's not just coming and singing singing songs. But it's finding a place to serve and letting what's real in your in your heart show up in your hands. So find that place that God has gifted you to serve and get after it. Do what God's called you to do. As parents, how are you going to show your children what service and sacrifice looks like? How are you going to show them? Because we all know that our children catch more from what we do than what we can teach them. So we can say, oh yeah, all this is important to me, but I just don't have time to really serve any place. I don't have time to put it into action. What message does that send to our kids? We've got to be teaching them and showing them. Serve with them. Man, we've got places here you can serve with your kids. The other thing is when you know of a need or if you have a need, man, we want to, we want to minister to you, but sometimes we just miss it. Sometimes we just flat drop the ball. So let us know. Let us know that you have had surgery or you're going through a tough time. If you know of someone going through a tough time, be sure to let us know that. Just email caregiving at biblechapel.org. Let us know, hey, someone's going through a really hard time or I'm going through a hard time. I just need you to pray for me. But again, worship starts in our heart, but it shows up in real life. It shows up when we do something. Our hands. All right, last one. Anna. Not only knew God's word and taught it. Anna not only worshipped, but Anna told others about Jesus. Do you? The end of verse thirty-eight. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him him being Jesus, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. She had a message to share, a life-changing message, a message for the redemption of Israel. There was one who could come and set them free from the bondage of sin, and she shared it with her friends, her family, and everyone who would listen, she shared this message of Jesus, do you? You don't have to answer this out loud, but when was the last time you told a person about Jesus? So this week, uh, Barna Christian Research Group published their top 10 stories of 2019. Uh, Their stories were this, the most post-Christian cities in the United States got the most Uh, One of the most hits, Um, uh, by the way, it's interesting, eight of the ten are in the Northeast. What young adults say is missing from church. It's an interesting article. What will it take to disciple the next generation? An article, again, we're talking about, or some things we're talking about here. Who is responsible for children's faith formation? Spoiler alert, if you want to read that, it's parents are responsible and here was the number one story. The number one story was this. Almost half of practicing Christian millennials say that evangelizing is wrong. Millennials in the Gen Z, evangelizing is wrong. here's what some of the uh, statistics show, the Barna Report. 96% of all Christians believe that faith, uh, that, that, that we should be a witness to our faith, being a witness for Jesus. 96% we should do that. 95% say that Jesus would be the best thing that could ever happen to another person. 95%. 73% of millennials say they are equipped to share their faith. We can share it. However, half of them agree that it's wrong to share personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will become a Christian, half of them. So millennials, we got work to do, right? And if you're in that camp, let's talk. Because we believe, Scripture says, that Jesus is the only way to have a a relationship with the living God. And so if it's not Jesus, it's separation from God forever. And so the greatest act of love you could do for anyone is to tell them about Jesus. But let's not talk about millennials or Gen Zs. How about Gen Xers and boomers and seniors? When's the last time you shared... Jesus with someone. By the way, there's another Barna story in that top ten, what non-Christians want from faith conversations. And here's what non-Christians said. Non-Christians says, we'd love to talk with people about faith who would listen without judgment, a person who will not force us to conclusions, a person who will demonstrate interest in our lives and our stories, a person who is good at asking questions. Non-Christian says that's what we would love, but 66% said we don't know any Christians like that. Aren't you supposed to share Jesus clearly and boldly? Absolutely. But I got news for you, and you already know this, you can't make a Christian, a person become a Christian. Only God can do that. 1 Peter 3:15 says this, but in your heart set apart Christ as, as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that is within you. But with what? Gentleness and respect. That's what we're missing a lot, isn't it? Isn't it amazing that the exact same things non-Christians want of us is what? The Bible says we should be doing. Sharing the message, letting the Holy Spirit do His work, listening to people, demonstrating our care for them, our love for them, and showing gentleness and respect. So, for man's life, we learn this you got to know God's Word, no, no, no other substitute. Got to know God's Word. Got to be a worshiper. Starts inside, shows up outside, and you got to tell others about Jesus. Three tremendous things we learn from Anna. So uh, in our staff, uh, every Wednesday we meet. We have a time of prayer, and then we have a, a leader, some leadership development, and we have tables, groups of prayer that meet together. And so in our table, we uh, had different ones give devotions before we pray. And a few weeks ago, uh, one of the individuals at our table. Uh, gave a devotion on 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. And before she gave the devotion, she said, I just want to I I set the context for this. Uh, she said, I got three grown kids, a couple in college, one uh, in the workforce, and um, they, they grew up in the church. They know about Jesus, but they have a lot of questions. And they have a lot of intellectual questions. And they have some questions that I, I can't answer. You know, I do my best, but I just don't know the answer to some of their intellectual questions. She said, when we get into those conversations, I always go back to this passage. Let me read it. 1 John 3, 16 through 19. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, for others. But if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. She said, I don't know all the answers, but how can they argue? with the love of God demonstrated in Jesus and then demonstrated through those who love him? How can you argue with a transformed life? Worship team's gonna sing a song over us. Just They're gonna invite us in later on, but let these words kind of soak over you. And there's one line I love. Come and see what God has done the story of amazing love. Wouldn't you you like that to be your testimony? Man, I am not perfect. I'm a sinner to the core. But my life has been transformed by Jesus Christ. Come and see what he has done. And let me tell you how he can do the same thing for you. Lord, speak to us through this song. Speak to us through your word Help us to be those who demonstrate a life of love, and Lord, part of that has to be telling others about your son, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name, amen.
2: It's the end. stand and join me in singing this chorus. Sing it out with all your heart with me.
0: If you'd like to pray before you go, we have individuals up here who would love the privilege to pray with you and pray for you. Be sure to come back on Tuesday, 11, 1, 3, or 5. Father, thank you for the fact that you loved us so much that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. Thank you, Father, that today we've learned from the life of Anna that we are to be those who know your word and teach it to others, that we are to be those who truly worship you from a heart of passion. And, Father, help us to share Jesus with someone in our life this week, to tell them how he transformed our life, and he can do the same in theirs. Be with us, Lord, as we go. Do that in Jesus' name. Amen.